When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome, everybody. Christopher Ray, bringing another episode of the Book Off Podcast with Land Grant Holy Land. And I'm joined by Jordan Williams. Um, how are you doing today, Jordan? Uh, I'm I'm doing uh, okay. And it actually ha- doesn't have to be a football reason. It's because I have a ridiculous homework assignment due next week, and I'm not excited about it. Other than that, you know, I'm all right. I've uh, given up my uh, my. Uh, my anguish over the Ohio State game, um, although you won't know it because I might get heated again talking about it, but I'm not living it day to day. Yeah, I think you're probably in the same shoes as me where in your friend group, you're the sports guy and you get these texts. You only get texts when things go bad. You know, you don't get texts when things are going good. Nope. Really. It's only when things go bad. So you got to really like take in that mental health for them. You got to hold the weight for everybody in your group, talk them down from the ledge. And that doesn't really give you the ability to talk yourself off that same ledge. So, I mean, I was, I was very fortunate. I got to do the film review and I got to write my, my article on Ryan Day's associate like commitment to becoming a tough football team, which I think was a detriment to what they wanted to do and accomplish in the long run. And I really felt good. It felt pretty cathartic to get that out there. The only thing that was hard for me was like Ohio State lost. So that like kind of changes our schedule. That kind of changes our mindset. And that's kind of what I'm working through now. Yeah, definitely. Because it's like now where I mean, we can still technically get into the playoffs, but we're essentially at, you know, like offseason mode, you know. And yeah, it, it feels like offseason mode right now. And I just wasn't ready for that transition. Like, even with a potential bowl game, like, it still feels like offseason mode. Yeah, because if it's the playoffs, we don't care. I mean, like, Ohio State, like, I don't know if we're going to get into this later, but, like, Ohio State supposedly asked not to go to the Rose Bowl. We don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they, they, they do not – they don't care about what's going yeah. on now. And they didn't really want to play Washington again. They don't really want to play Utah again. So, it's like – Really, like, there's not much you can do. Yeah, uh, about do you want to play Clemson again? I don't want to play Clemson. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I put it at the end of the show, but like, we're probably like, like. Bama in the Cheez It Bowl? Oh <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Then we just claim a national championship. That'd be funny. <laughs> no, all jokes aside, though, like it is a weird place because, like you said, and I want to get this. Out, I need to get this out here on this show because, like, personally, do not think 
you should be able to go to your conference championship weekend, lose, and then not make the playoff. You know, I don't think that should be the case. Um, I don't care. And I don't. I also don't think like I like divisions are pretty stupid because in reality, the only team that's like actually having a true championship would be. Uh, well, I guess Pac-12 is too, but they have the weird tiebreaker stuff and all that. But the Big 12 is like the only team with like a true championship. Right. George is playing a three-loss team. Um, who, uh, who's the ACC other one? has a true championship, but it's like – Yeah, but those that are one Probably yeah. the two best teams in the ACC, but it doesn't matter for like, you know – the grand scheme of things, yeah. yeah. And then uh, what was the last one? Um, the Big Ten. It's Purdue. Like everyone knows, I've Purdue. Like, like, yeah, Michigan's gonna show up. They're probably gonna win the football game. If they don't, like, yeah, it, it might hurt them a little bit. But in the re- in the grand scheme of things, everyone knows Michigan beat Penn State. They beat Ohio State. They beat most of the Big Ten West that they played. They beat everybody in the Big Ten West that they played, and those teams beat Purdue. Like, <laughs> transitive property, we all know who the champ is in the Big Ten. So it does yeah. not matter. No, the only reason I say you can lose and, you know, like, get out is because um, Ohio State has won the conference championship and not made the playoffs and yeah. other Big Ten teams as well. So it's like, you know, it's happened to us. It can happen to you. You'll get over it. You'll be okay. Yeah. And if you can't right the ship and you lose twice to a team, you don't deserve to be in the playoff also, like USC. Like yeah, you didn't so. redeem the one loss you had. TCU's tough because – at the end of the day, the Big 12 is like a strong team. Like top to bottom, they have like a very good – like their deviations the smallest probably between their worst team and their best team. But I don't think their best team, TCU, is necessarily a national championship contender. Like it's like the thing that's hard for me is I can't even picture TCU on the field with Georgia. You know, this might sound like a salty Ohio State person, but like you can't sit here and tell me that like you could see TCU and Georgia being a good game. No, and the thing with it, too, is, like, um, I hate to say this because it's hard to go 13-0, but TCU played multiple games where their opponent's quarterback got knocked out of the game, mm-hmm. including the Kansas State game, which they were losing. Like, if Kansas State's quarterback doesn't get knocked out of the game, they probably lose that game, which is why me personally, and I think a lot of people are picking Kansas State to win this game because they should have won it last time. It's almost like the Alabama-Texas thing. If Quinn Ewers doesn't get knocked out, they lose. And that happened to them multiple times, like more than once. I think it was like three or four times where they were playing a team's backups. Yeah, where they were playing a team's backup quarterback. And even still – they were doing a lot of come from behind and stuff like that. And it's like, maybe this is just a magical season, so maybe it doesn't. But typically, in most cases, that magic runs out eventually. Um, yeah. And this is not hating on them because I think it would be cool. Like, it's it's objectively cool that Purdue is 
and the Big Ten championship game. Like, I can't say anything other than that because I'm the guy that advocates for the fact that college football is more than just the playoffs. Yeah. And you can tell me that these things don't matter. This is going to be the only team in Purdue history that when they're going to talk about this team forever, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years until they all rest in peace, that team is coming back for anniversaries. There's going to be players on that team in the Purdue Hall of Fame, whatever they call it. Like, this team is going to be the team that they their numbers retired. All of this stuff is going to happen because they are not going to win the Big Ten again. So it is objectively cool. So I'm not trying to like crap on TCU. Them being in the playoff for the first time would be amazing for them, especially before it's like a 12 team thing and everything. But it's just like I have a hard time believing that the Magic last another game, especially against a very good team. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, it's it's college football. Anything can happen. Um, like like you said, if Purdue wins this game, that, that Purdue team's probably one of the greatest teams in Purdue history. I don't know. Like, I think they made a Rose Bowl when Drew Brees was there, so that's probably the best team they've ever had was those teams. But they didn't win but this turn, so. This team would be right up there, so. Um, it is fun, like, and I think that's something from an Ohio State perspective. It's not fun because the expectations are so high, but there are still a lot of fun stories to get into this weekend if you're a college football fan. Like, these are banner games for programs. Uh, Kansas State's when's the last time they've been here? Haven't been up at this point since Bill Snyder left. You know, USC they've been down for so long that like this is a huge opportunity for them to get back. And you know, I. Need to eat some crow here. I'm not completely wrong about Lincoln Riley yet. We'll have a chance on Saturday to see if I'm right or wrong about him. But he won 11 games in his first year at USC, and I was wrong about that. I thought they'd be a nine-win team. Um, and that's where I think this is something where a lot of coaches are looking to prove it. Like, Sonny Dykes has been a lifelong air raid, run-and-shoot type of coach. He's been all over the place, and he's got a team at TCU. He left SMU, and a lot of people thought that was a horizontal jump because TCU was kind of bad the year before, and SMU was competing for American Athletic Conference Championships. Um, And now he's got a chance to prove everybody wrong. So it's going to be a fun weekend still. Uh, It's a little – Still sour, I know, for a lot of you guys listening. But like me and Jordan say it every single week, you only have so many more weeks until you're wanting to watch a random Big 12 football game on a Saturday at 3.30. Yeah. And about the Lincoln Riley thing, I've always told you that you're a little harsh on him. He is what he is. He's an offensive coach who refuses to get a good defense and is always yeah. going to lose the big game in the playoff. He's, But I always felt like he was going to make USC Oklahoma because, like, that's what he does. Um, and somehow, somehow, like, I, I think it's Alex probably – Man. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit because of lesser expectations. His quarterbacks always won the Heisman. CJ Stroud lost himself the Heisman because the expectations of having to play that Michigan game. And you can't tell me that, like, you know, uh, Caleb Williams beating Notre Dame is the Michigan game. Like, you know, so whatever. Yeah, I mean, and, he like, beat he, Notre Dame by 11 points. CJ Stroud did the same thing. Yeah, so it's like, whatever. See, like, you know, his quarterbacks are going to win the Heisman and that kind of stuff. He's going to get quarterbacks. But uh, the one thing that I will say, uh, and uh, I don't know. I don't want to get too far into this. I just don't agree with the QB guru label. Um, I don't think that Caleb Williams is a good quarterback. I think he's a great football player. 
Like Caleb yeah, Williams doesn't do anything from the quarterback position that's like, oh my God, that's so technically sound. And this yeah. time and third. All of his best plays are him drifting back 10 yards, juking a ball. And then and it's like that's beautiful to watch. But like he yeah. does not play in structure and he, none of his quarterbacks have. But he's I mean, an ultra talented athlete. And yeah. Lincoln Riley benefited from Kyler Murray, an ultra talented athlete, from uh, Jalen Hurts, an ultra talented athlete. You know, you just go down the list. Like the least athletic one was Baker Mayfield, and, and he he was college athletic. He's just not NFL yeah. athletic. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think I gained a lot of respect for him if he could just like somehow find a way to cut like Alex Grinch off of him. I'd be a lot higher on him. Yeah. But yeah, I, just, I mean that's that's our playoff talk, right? Yeah, I just don't like the QB guru thing because I, I just feel like you have to recruit and develop a quarterback before you get yes. that thing, and like no one considers Ryan Day a QB guru, despite the fact that he's had he has recruited and developed from scratch three first round draft picks: Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, and um, and CJ Stroud. Like, that is yeah. a QB guru. Like, when you are getting better each quarterback, when you've had your quarterback win five straight Big Ten Player of the Year awards from, from like, from nothing, like, that is QB guru, not three transfers, and then the only guy you've developed is, is Caleb Williams. And in the middle of that, you failed to develop someone because you failed to develop Spencer Rattler. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Spencer Rattler just made himself a bunch of money, too. Two games. I don't know. I don't think anyone's going to want him in the NFL. He made him some, he made him I, some, he, some NIL money, though. Yeah, I, I, maybe not. I, I don't know. His He's just got arm talent that you can't teach, and you know how the NFL is. Yeah. You know I mean, how his, they are. Yeah, his his uh, you can't I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that his arm talent's not unique. That that kid yeah. is he, he's got that he snaps the wrist and that ball's on a laser beam until it gets to someone. Yeah, but watching honestly, watching that South Carolina Tennessee game, like not Ohio State related, probably the most fun I had watching a college football game this year. Until Hendon Hooker got hurt, then I just kind of got sad. Yeah, I didn't get to watch that one, but I was paying attention to, like, what was going on, but it just wasn't on the screen. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go. Let's let's get to our, our event sesh. We can talk about Brian Hartline in a little bit, but Ohio State lost. We got a few questions we need to ask ourselves before we get going forward. We need to make our statements on Buck Off, like where we stand on things like as a podcast. Oh, God, sorry. Dr. Pepper, got to drink one. It's a college football show. Uh, this is Fansville, free ad. But, yeah, so let's get into it. Let's get into it. So uh, where do we stand personally on Ryan Day? Um, you get start. I'll jump in. I think, and I've said this all year, and I said it last year, and I'll say it again. Ryan Day is a good head coach. He's a good recruiter. He's a good quarterback developer. I think he's a good leader. He needs to give up play calling. And he has shown the ability to make changes and to make hard decisions. But I worry that when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, that he's not humble enough to look in the mirror and actually make changes. I think he enjoys surrounding himself by yes men 
which is why we still have certain people on the offensive side of the ball or really young coaches who aren't going to challenge him. Um, and so that concerns me. But I am not fire Ryan Day. I'm not any of that kind of stuff. I Even like I still call this team soft because they are, but they're not physically soft as bad as they were last year. I think they're mentally soft because I think he's mentally soft. And that is my problem. Yeah. You can be mentally soft as a head coach if you have the right people around you, but you can't be mentally soft as the head coach and the quarterback's coach de facto and the offensive coordinator and the play caller. You just can't do that. Like that's too many things. And the team is going to take on, you know, your belief or lack of, and they're going to take on your personality. And so, um, you know, the whole toughness thing, like you're talking about, if you're tough, you don't have to say you're tough. And we should have picked up earlier in the season. The fact that like the person that talks the loudest in the room is typically not what they're saying. Right. Like, you know, um, when you, when you, when you buy the, the super big truck, with the super big rims and make it really loud and you, the smoke billows out, you're, you're probably overcompensating for something. And so we probably should have keyed on that. But I like unless he like tucks tails and runs to the NFL to go away from the challenge, I'm fine with uh, him being our head coach, unless Mike Vable is an option, just because I think he's just better in general. I'm fine with him being our head coach. I just need him to be humble enough to give up play calling and to surround himself by good, talented offensive young minds who are going to have the time to dedicate to developing an offensive game plan and to calling the right plays at the right moment and understanding the flow of the game and that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm with you there. I think Ryan Day's ego is his biggest issue right now. Uh, him needing to control the offense, him needing to be the play caller, him needing to be that definitive final voice is a huge issue when you're the head coach and your team needs you in more places. You know, like it is great. Like, I hate to do this to Ohio State fans, but we talked about this a little bit pre-show. Jim Harbaugh was struggling, right? He brings in – he has Josh Gaddis. He's one of the only coaches on staff he keeps, right? But he brings in Sharon Sher- Moore. He brings in Matt Wise. And these two young voices bring in this identity, right? Or younger voices. I don't know how old Matt Wise is, but I know Sharon Moore is young. They form an identity based on what Jim Harbaugh philosophically wants – and if you don't think Jim Harbaugh has his fingerprints all over that offense, you're you're not really thinking all the way through. Like, he's still an offensive-minded coach. He still wants to have the things done his way. And that's what Ryan Day needs to learn how to do. Be that CEO. Learn to trust other people. And I think that's something that we saw in the game. And we talked about this pre-show. Like, Ryan Day didn't trust his players. He punted. Ryan Day didn't trust his players. He kicked a field goal. Ryan Day trusted – he didn't trust anybody. He didn't trust his defense. He didn't trust that. And I think at the end, he started trusting his defense, and that's why he kicked the field goal. And that's where his indecisiveness, that's where it comes when you're so stuck into one thing, and that's play calling. You can't see the whole picture. And that's the problem, I think, right now. And that's where his ego is. And if he can't put that to the side, then we're going to get round three next year in Ann Arbor. Yeah, and that's the that's the that is the thing that worries me because I'm not convinced that he's going to do it is can like are you confident and this is also a question for myself that we're going to go to Ann Arbor and beat 
Jim Harbaugh. I actually, I, I was listening. I, I was actually thinking about this when Michigan scored that second touchdown. Right? You you saw you you were watching the game, obviously. And did you see the reaction from the fans? Did you feel the air? I could literally feel the air getting sucked out of the stadium and the TV screen. I think you feel that emotion as a player. You feel that as a coach, and you start worrying. So I think on the road you don't feel that as much. But I think where it is tough is Michigan's going to be chomping at the bit still. Like this is their first opportunity for a class, JJ McCarthy, that group to go three and zero against Ohio State like yeah. as starters. Like that's something that's going to be hard to combat. And if you can't get out of the way of fear, which I think that's the scariest part to me, so Ohio State played scared football most of the second half. That's not a place you could go into with any fear. Nope. And I think that's – and that's another reason Ryan Day has to give up play calling because I genuinely think he enjoys being the head coach at Ohio State. I believe that yeah. with passion. I think he enjoys it so much that he fears losing the job. He fears letting down his players and the fan base, and he fears, um, like, the ridicule that's going to come from Buckeye Nation, and I think he was ruled by that fear and big games. I think that's the problem, and that's why you need someone that's not. I think he fears losing more than he wants to win. And that shows, yeah. and and that's why I always call him a bully because when he's not afraid to lose, he's gonna pull out the pretty plays, the trick plays, the this and that kind of stuff. But as soon as he gets afraid to, as soon as yeah, he's afraid and, to lose, it, it's you could, something totally different. You could literally see it happen when the ball went off the tip of Cade Stover's fingertips, man. And that fear crept in. Why are you calling that, plays to Cade Stover when you have Marvin so Harrison on the field? And that's where I think Kevin Wilson's a little too involved. The tight ends coach, we had four crucial plays go to tight ends. Like, come on. Like, we also I saw right through that, Kevin Wilson. That's not a that's not a time to be cute. That's a time to pick up the first down. That's a time you to can go like say that hey, solo. We have Marvin Harrison route, Jr. That solo fade route that they ran to Kate Stover, Marv's catching that. Yeah. There and it's not like Marv's catching that, like no, Marv is not leaving that field unless he comes down with that football. Yeah. Like, you put it, like, and that's, uh, you know, I, I was listening to Bill Landis. He was talking to Nick Baumgartner of The Athletic this week, and one of the things Nick Baumgartner said from the Michigan standpoint is, like, it looks like, like Ryan Day is an absolute control freak at times. And, like, the lack of understanding, this comes back down to, coordinator versus head coach understanding situationally like yes you might have this perfect play you know and it might be one of these great design plays but on third and one you need to understand that situationally throwing to your tight end who has been good this year better than expected and i think that's the key word better than expected might not be the smartest thing to do and when you're sitting up in the booth as an offense coordinator as a play caller you can look down Think of it without all that emotion inside, all without all that emotion involved in the decision-making. You think, and you're like, hey, you know, I think this would be a good time to go to Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, and it's it's just like, right, it feels like he's always trying to outsmart someone. 
right? Or prove yeah. how smart he is. Like not playing down, not not playing Dallin Hayden, right? Or not run, like, it's just like he throws the ball when he should run it. He runs the ball when he should throws it. He runs inside when he should go outside. He runs outside when he should go inside. It's just like do what's working. Stop trying to be cute. Yeah. Stop trying to overthink it. Just and call like, the right play. When you're running down the throat of Michigan with Chip Trainum and you're running down the throat with Mayan Williams, why do you go outside? Why are you so obsessed with trying to get the perimeter with slow running backs? I literally I tweeted it and someone like uh, was like low key talking shit about me. I said Donovan Jackson and Paris Johnson Jr. is the best uh, tackle guard combination in the country, and both of them won first team All Big Ten. They would both be first round picks if they were both eligible. Only one's eligible. You know, people like the Penn State guy better um, for whatever reason. Like I'm, I, I like offensive line play, but I can't get in the nitty gritty like that. But he's not declaring, so there's a good chance Paris Johnson Jr. is the first offensive tackle yeah. on the board. He was why are you not, going, why are you not running behind them? Two yeah, first and- team, all Big Ten. And and one at one is guaranteed to be an All American, probably it, a consensus All American, if not both of them, depending on how well people pay attention to the offensive line, is almost guaranteed to be a consensus All American. Yeah, yeah, he's getting a tree in the grove. Uh, what I will say, like, and like you could see it, like Jesse Minter. Like, I was like, there's no way Jim Harbaugh hits twice. But guess what he did? He maintained the gaps, like that gap and a half responsibility football. It limited well, Ryan Day's own run scheme. Technically, John hit twice. Yeah, John hit twice. He gifted, John knows how to hire coaches. Yeah, he, he gifted <laughs> both of them, which is why he's been so, so yeah. successful for the Ravens. But it's cool because um, Jim Harbaugh's is there a third one. Jim Harbaugh is going to no. take Jesse Minter with him when he goes to the Colts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he but, has NFL experience. He's going to take him with him. So, yeah. And with like, so like with that scheme, like the goal is, and we, we saw it, and it was the same problem last year. Ryan Day is going to run wide zone into the boundary. Ryan Day is going to run wide zone with the motion. He's going to get outside with that motion. So, what do Michigan players do? They know what's coming. They're not dumb. Like, they watch film. You're not going to out-athlete them to the outside. They're going to keep their contain. And guess what? You're not going to get the third and three in a crucial situation. And that is what bothers me. And you you ran the counters. You ran the pin and pulls. You ran some schemes early with Chip Traino that I'm like, man, you know what? Ryan Day is finding himself in this game for, like, the first three series, right? And then – that Cade Stover play happened, and he went immediately back to being a – I don't want to call it scared, more conservative, right? And that's just not what you can be. That's not why he was hired as the head coach. He was hired as the head coach because of what he was able to do in the NFL, what he was able to bring to the offense. He brought these passing concepts from the league to college football. He was freaking – inflicting pain on Big Ten defenses as the offense coordinator. In 2019 with Justin Fields, it was the same thing. In 2020, that's where we started first seeing the cracks, I think. And then that was mostly because of the running backs. And then they found Trey Sermon, and then it didn't really matter. 2021, it was really tough to watch at times. The run game, it was really tough to watch at times. The pass game. And then this year, like, the run game was so ineffective at times. Like, I don't feel like there was any true identity on it. 
Yeah, I don't. I, this is the the one of the biggest criticisms I have of Ryan Day, and it's kind of you know, you know, he's a quarterback. I don't think Ryan Day genuinely. I think his biggest weakness as a play caller is I don't think he understands the run game. I think he. It's one of those things like you know that you're supposed to do it, but you don't really know why and how. Yeah, it's like I and know I should run the ball, but like you don't like the any. Listen, the run game is hard. It's not as easy as you think. It's not as easy to just press the button and run the ball. Um, like this is a stupid analogy, but think about how hard it is to run the ball in Madden. Like it, it takes a lot of and it not takes easy. a lot of time and effort to know what when to call it, to know how to you know the little skill and that kind of stuff. I know it's a bad analogy. To feel the holes, to feel where to go. Exactly. Like. <laughs> Calling a run game is very intricate, and I don't. I think he calls runs because he knows he has to. It's like, oh damn, I called five straight passing play. Let's run the ball, not because he effectively understands how and when and where and what to do in the running game. And I think that's his biggest flaw. And at this point, because that is not a guarantee that everyone knows how to do it, I'm not sure if there's anyone on the staff that knows how to do it except Justin Fry. He's done it, but yeah. Justin Fry, I'm. I know we keep calling him the run game coordinator. I'm very positive that that uh, is not in his Alfred's the run game coordinator. And I'm I not thought. sure that Alfred knows how to do it. And that is no shade to him. That is, like, it is a skill set. And I don't know that that has ever been Alfred's skill set. And just because you're a running back doesn't mean that you're good at it because it starts with understanding the offensive line. Yeah, and that's where I think um, – I can't remember the name of the offensive line coach at Lincoln Riley – hired when he was at Oklahoma. It might be – was that Elston? It might be. But his most, like, notable plays that's at GT counter. Bed and Bow, Bow, that's not him. Yeah, Bed and Bow, Bed and Bow, whatever his name is, Bed and Bow. Um, yeah, that's the guy. He uh, He's a line coach. That's the only reason Lincoln Riley has this level of understanding in the run game that maybe a Ryan Day doesn't. And I don't know where you find a coach like that because Kevin Wilson's the big reason they had the type of zone run scheme they did when he got hired. Um, you know, I don't think the title of run game coordinator actually means that much because we know what Ryan Day's going to do when it comes down to it. And that's also part of the problem is when you're the head coach, you're going to run what you're comfortable with, right? And then – when it comes down to it, like in the emotional moment, you're going to say, Hey, all right, we haven't ran this play in a while. I think this will work here. Regardless, like you're seeing the look on the field, you can't check it, you know? And I think that's something we saw with Ryan day that I, I wasn't very happy with. And we saw it not only against Michigan, we saw it against Penn state. We saw it against um, Notre Dame early in the year. We saw it against that. And you know, it's, it's just something where we need to see improvement. That's one area where it's like if you have a guy like Travion Henderson, if you have a guy like this, you, you don't need a complex run game. You just need an identity behind the run game and a reason for the run game. And I think that is something you were saying. It's like there's no reason for what they're doing. There's no reason for what they're trying to accomplish. They just run run plays. 
Yeah, and I don't think they need to find anyone. I think they have him. I believe that Justin Fry can do it because he did it at BC. He Chip Kelly has a really good running game, and UCLA's running game improved with Justin Fry. I think he, I think he knows when and how and why to do it. They're just not letting him do it, and I think they need to do that. Yeah. But another criticism that I have of Day and why he needs, and this is again, all these criticisms are him as an offensive play caller, not as the as the head coach. I don't think he really trusts anyone. He doesn't trust his quarterback. Think about it. Did Justin, yes or no, for you all listening, answer this yourself, yes or no, did Justin Fields get more responsibility at the line of scrimmage in his second year? Yes or no? Now, did C.J. Stroud get more responsibility at the line of scrimmage? Yes or no? The answer to both is no. They're still doing the check with me. It doesn't seem like they have the the ability to check out of plays. You heard it once where Marvin Harrison Jr. said that C.J. Stroud was just checking out of plays and doing slants. And it seems like he probably got yelled at for it because it didn't seem like he did it any other time this season. You see other quarterbacks in NFL-style schemes in their second year, third year, where they have more kind of control at the line of scrimmage. And I don't think that he trusts his quarterbacks enough to do that because everyone talks about how cerebral C.J. Stroud is. I'm sure he knew, like, hey, we should probably check this run. We should probably do this. We should probably do that. But if it's not being called from the coach, it's not being changed. And that's like, he just, like, you need, you just got to get someone else. You got to get someone else who is going to trust the players and going to trust themselves and not think that they're the smartest person in the room. And Day is very smart. He is a very good offensive coach. I'm not saying that he's not, but to your point, set the offensive philosophy, set the technique, set the, like, but let someone else press the buttons. Yeah, it, I think that's the point. Let someone else press the button. It's like it's much easier as a head coach to give your input in situations when needed than to have to call the entire game. Like it's much easier to go up to a player and say, "Hey, I know what we're doing this drive. You got this." And like not have to think about like, "Okay, we're going to try to run here. We're going to do this. I got the headset on. We're going to be listening to my offense coordinator so we can dial up the right play." You're thinking about a lot more. Instead, you should be the one listening and saying, hey, maybe this is the time we try to get this out there. Like, you know, that shot play you designed during the week. And this isn't to say Ryan Day is not going to be the main designer of the offense. He's not going to be the main architect. This is to say that you need to trust that what you designed is enough and let someone else say, let someone else drive the car. You're basically to like bring this to Formula One. You're the team building the Ferrari, right? You need to let someone else drive it. Do you think the yeah. engineers are driving the car? No. It's Carlos Sainz. It's fucking like Max Verstappen for Red Bull. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you guys follow Formula One. Even NASCAR. Like, someone else is driving the car. It's not the people who are designing it. I agree. That's, that's, that's for a reason. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. Like, I have no problem with most – I don't think he fully understands run game, but I have no problem with most of his play calls, offensive philosophy, any of that kind of stuff. I just genuinely think when you're the head coach at Ohio State and you have to meet with boosters and you have to talk with Gene Smith and you have to do three radio shows, you have to be here and you have to make this appearance and you have to keep up recruiting and all these other kind of things, you don't have the time that you need to commit to offensive play calling. And I think that shows. 
Yeah. Also, it's this is honest. not even so much a negative. Historically, it happens in college football and NFL. These offensive gurus lose it because it ha- It just happened with the coach with Frank Reich. It's too much yeah. to be a head coach. What, like it's five years much. ago. Reich was one of the best at what he did. And when he takes a year off and becomes an offensive coordinator somewhere, he'll probably get it back. But it's yeah. too much to be an offensive play calling head coach to call the and plays you, and to press the buttons. You always get it. Initially, at first, it still works. You know, you're still comfortable with it. You're still in that rhythm, right? But then you just start getting chipped away. At. You see this player turnover. Because you, you don't have the time to make the changes and to match the times because yeah. you're not doing all the studying. You're getting, Instead of yeah. you doing the studying and making the changes, you're getting a report from an intern and then you're two hours a day that you have that you're not doing head coaching stuff trying to pound out, you know, uh, a play, an offensive game plan instead of spending 12 hours hours a day on the offensive game plan because that's your sole job yeah I mean we've been on the same page with this for some time now uh, last year I think after the Oregon game we were kind of there and we've been kind of on this train for however long a year and a half now it, it's just one of those things at this point it, it it's a necessary change and honestly it's like even if it's Kevin Wilson even if it's someone else like in the staff you know like already it's like you still have the input. You still have that. But that's where I also think it wouldn't work because Ryan Day's not going to forfeit that to other people. Yeah, that's the that's the hardest part. I don't believe we will either. And that and that's the and that believe like, again, I'm not at the fire Ryan Day point, but that that point there is what's going to get him fired. Because yes. I think he could be successful here for a long time if he was humble enough to let somebody else do something. To be honest, if he just wasn't scared anymore, you know, but I think that also comes with like, you don't just have the responsibility of the offense not working, right? As a head coach, you have the responsibility of the team failing if you get it wrong. Right. And you can't have that way. You have to have that balance of that. You know, it's like, and I think that's something that a lot of people, and it's an ego thing, like they don't want, they want to have that control, but they also need to be able to relinquish that control, right? Like, yeah, you he wants to control the outcome of the game, and by overthinking it, by overestimating that, and putting that much pressure on himself to do it, it's it's a little too much, right? It's like asking a lot of a person. That's why you need to surround yourself with smart people. Yep, but it's smart people and not um, yes, man. not yes, man either, or people yeah. who are afraid to, you know, really, you know, yeah. challenge you. I also not saying none of the Ohio State coaches aren't smart. I just think it, it, we've seen it. We've seen it time. And I think that'll take us into our checklist because I think the first thing on the checklist is very much in line with, hey, you know, sometimes things just go a little south, right? You can't keep food forever. There's a reason. Yeah. You know, we'll see. Oh, honestly, the offense is basically just leftovers at this point. You know, it's been in the fridge. A little too long. After left yeah, yeah, good, but after long. after four or five days, you shouldn't be eating it no more. Yeah, you're looking at it like, God, I am hungry. I don't want to go out. I don't want to spend money. Is it worth it? And then you're like, No, it's a stupid eat something. And that's paying for another offensive coordinator in this scenario. Yeah, please. please. All right. Yeah. I, yeah, all right. Let's get into our checklist. All right, let's just get it out. Let's just start. Let's get into it. It's going to be aggressive. This is an aggressive checklist. Fire Mickey Marotti. 
First and foremost. He we a- have said this before on the show. It's just where we're at. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's when you're not caught up with the times, you're not caught up with the times. And I understand he's done a lot for the program and Urban Meyer and that kind of stuff. But this isn't Urban Meyer's football anymore. Urban Meyer was starting to lose touch. And it's safe to say that Mickey is as well. Um, go. It, it is simple. Go to Georgia. Hit up the number two and say, do you want your salary doubled in your own department? They're going to say yes. There you go. That's it. That's it. Yeah. You're not, I mean, you could try for the number one, but you're not going to get the one number one. It doesn't matter. Go get the number two. Say, hey, we've seen you. You know what you're doing. Are you ready? Own department. We'll double your salary. Bring some bring some young guys in the business that you know who are cutting edge. Because, like, I mean, I don't know the whole, you know, names of everyone in the strength department and all this other kind of stuff, but, like, is there anyone that's cutting edge? I'm reading a story about Nebraska, and I don't know that he's good or not, but uh, Matt Rule just hired a 31-year-old strength coach. I don't know if he's going to be good, but I tell you what, he's going to be cutting edge because he's, he's, he's gonna relatively be new. new to the field. He, he knows what's going on. He's in touch with the new things that you're supposed to do, and he's not doing antiquated stuff from the freaking early 2000s. Yeah, and I, it starts, honestly, I, the strength and conditioning coach is the coach who spends the most time with the players. Um, they are the people that most coaches say are responsible for implementing the culture. And I think this needs to be like that final tie Ryan Day cuts from the past to really just kind of reinvent the program. Because I, I, Mickey Marotti's done a great job, but he's been in this business for 35 years, right? And I don't want to get into some like ageist rant right here. Like there's plenty of work to do. And I think Mickey Marotti could be very beneficial to a lot of programs across the country with his experience. But I think when you're at Ohio State, you need to look at every single option and find the best one. Like there are people who have been through Ohio State's program who have worked at programs like Cincinnati, like Brady Collins that I brought up in our Slack channel today. Like, yeah, he worked under Mickey Marotti, but Cincinnati was getting two stars, three star recruits and turning him to NFL players on a regular basis in his four years there. Like that's real development that you see. And there are a lot of young guys out there who are cutting their teeth at these smaller programs. Like uh, let me see where Mickey Marotti started. Well, he started at Ohio state as a GA worked through West Virginia, got to Cincinnati, then went to Notre Dame in natural career projection progression. So I think it's time you, like you said, Georgia, there's, Teams with really great strength and conditioning. I don't want to like give too much credit to the rival up north, but Jim Harbaugh gave almost the entire credit to that second half performance to their strength and conditioning coach. So it is important. Mickey Marotti is a dinosaur. And if I see another video of rope pulls and like punching a punching bag and not like like real workout activities that I think would be more productive on a football. I mean, like there's a space for tug of war and stuff, but I, I'm tired of those montages and I'd be less tired if they won. So I don't know. I, I think there's, I just think it's time to move on. Yeah. Because and I, I think what people need to understand, and this is the problem that people had last year when we were calling for he who won't be named to get fired and things like that. This is Ohio state. Good enough. Isn't enough. You should always have a top five person in your field 
at your positions, right? Your offensive, mm-hmm. like that's the thing. Like when Ryan, when it was humming over Urban Meyer, what was he doing? Consistently replacing offensive coordinators because they were the hottest name on the market and everyone wanted them. No one, like no one wants anyone on this staff, and that is a problem. Yeah, because Everyone they're gets- no longer the hot names. They're no longer doing anything innovative. They're no longer doing things that people want and are rivaling. They they want <laughs> Brian Hartline. We're going to get into that. That's great. And I want to be clear: there are certain people who people aren't quote unquote wanting that are still good. I like Tony Alford. People have asked him for running for head coaching jobs. That's fine. Nobody wants Kevin Wilson. Nobody, no. nobody wanted he who won't be named, right? Nobody wanted these linebackers coaches except somehow freaking Notre Dame or whatever. But that's you see yeah. how that worked. Uh, it's like, more friend relationship than anything. Like they knew like, each other previously. Uh, people, but but to some positives, people are gonna want Perry, right? People are gonna want Perry. Yeah. People want Brian. You started to kind of to do that, so just just do it in the last couple things, right? Like nobody, yeah. it's freaking Ohio State. No, everybody wanted Jim Knowles. To add to that list, yeah, like you went out and got him. Yeah, but like, like we just talked about it. Like, right, go to Georgia's number two, Mickey. When he was in his prime and things were working, people would hire his strength and conditioning coaches. Nobody's hiring his strength and conditioning coaches no more. Like, people not being poached from your staff is a sign that they're not good. And it's the same thing that's happening with Bama. Nobody wants Pete Golding. Nobody wants Bill O'Brien. Nobody wants these people. And look what happens. But you know who they do want? Yeah. They want Dan Lanning from Georgia, right? They're, they're still yeah. there because Georgia's becoming the new Bama. Like, it's it's like something annoying to say. And like, Ohio State is chasing those levels. So what do you have to do? You have to do what they're doing. And that's one place Ohio State's fallen significantly behind in his strength and conditioning. And I remember I was like, I was watching at what game was it this year? I think it was a Notre Dame game. And Holly Rowe, ESPN sideline reporter, was talking about the stupid ring they wore. Like it would tell them how they slept and all this stuff. And like, yeah, that's great. Like incredible. But like. That's not going to make a difference at the end of the day. And I think that stuff is cool. That stuff that they're doing in the NFL. But if you're not matching that with cut, like if you're doing that and then going to play tug of war, it doesn't matter. Like you're not yeah. doing anything with the data. <laughs> like, yeah. And I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about like powerlifting and Olympic lifting and sports. And I am not educated enough to really understand how much, you should be doing that stuff. I'm a big dumbbells guy. I always have been bad shoulders. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. It, it's, it's, I'm above my head when I'm talking about that, like kinesiology stuff, but it's definitely something where we've seen teams become more successful because they hired the right people. Honestly, the, think about Florida 15 years ago when they brought in Mickey Marotti. Yeah. He was ahead of his time. He was the cutting edge guy. And I think the other thing that you have to remember is some of this is you need is needing to be flexible and understanding that your you know, uh, three your 280-pound offensive lineman doesn't need the same plan as your 175-pound 
uh, corner who doesn't receiver, need the same yeah, plan corner. as your 215 pound safety. Like it's different. Like right. Like you have to do different yeah, things. And I mean, I'm not saying that he's not doing this at all. Right. Offensive linemen are gaining weight. Dewan Jones lost weight. Like he is still good, but he is no longer excellent. He's no longer cutting edge, and that is the difference when you play Michigan, unfortunately, but especially when you play Bama, especially when you play Georgia, when you play those teams where they have players who are just as good as you, but they have that 5 to 10% extra because they're being developed better. They're stronger, yeah. they're faster um, than and, that. And even Bama's losing and, it a little bit because they're strength and conditioning guys at Georgia. Like, everything's coming yeah. up Georgia right now. <laughs> it, it, felt, it honestly feels kind of like Ohio State's players are are like waning at the end of seasons, right? Whereas like it feels like you look at Georgia's team, you look at Michigan this year, it felt like they got stronger throughout the year. Like I mean the freaking injuries, like the soft tissue injuries, like like there are not many people at Ohio State who are missing the entire I, season. But almost every player is missing a game or two because of a yeah. soft tissue injury. That stuff's not just like freak stuff. Like if, it, if it's the whole team, nobody else's team is doing that. Like Georgia and Bama in Texas and even these other places, like they're not missing these guys consistently because and big season and injuries are different like those happen that's a freak part about football it's these little injuries that happen week to week but playing one Saturday and then just suddenly not being able to play the next and nothing happened in the game that we know of yeah it's the stupid Tuesday Wednesday practices and it's the strength and conditioning alright um, all right, let's get to uh, the next two few things on our checklist. I'm going to combine these next two. I think Ohio State needs to do a better job at defining their identity. You know, it feels like their identity right now is we're talented. We have good quarterbacks, and that's it. Everything else we're trying to figure out. So defensively, Jim Knowles has his identity. How does it fit into the culture of the program? Uh, the coach's identity, we already kind of talked about this with Ryan Day. It feels like he's kind of backed down from that aggressive, like try to embarrass the defense in nature. Um, but the two places it's most pivotal to me are defensively, what do you fall back on when it doesn't go well? And in the run game, we just need to see something that is easily identifiable. Like when's the last time we've seen an Ohio State run game that was consistent all year, right? Yeah, you, you can't really answer it. Only thing I'm going to say, I have nothing to say on the defensive end because if you look at the aggregate of the season, Jim Harbaugh, uh, Jim Knowles exceeded expectations. He didn't get the top five defense necessarily, although he's probably really, really close to it, but he's definitely reached the top ten. Where This is all hinging on one game, and that game is very important, but from what the defense was last year, like I don't, it, it was a six. It was a successful year for Jim Knowles. Like I'm not yeah. going to say anything. Like he, I mean, we had two first team All Big Ten players who would never have been Big All Big Ten. Tommy Eichenberg and Zach Harrison were not going to be All Big Ten under anyone but Jim Knowles. Denzel Burke figured it out. He was third team All Big Ten. JT probably would have been that no matter what. Jack got on the second team. I think like I. I'm not gonna like. I I don't want to let one get one game cloud my opinion of yeah. all season. I'm still very impressed about him with him, and I I just think that 
you know, I don't, I'm not going to make excuses for him. I think maybe the moment was big because he'd never had a moment like that. And he was trying to prove himself a little bit too much. I think he went outside of his element a little bit. Um, but like, I, I'm not, I'm just not concerned about him. Like the, the, from top to bottom, the defense was better. The only question that I have about Jim Knowles is does he really like Tim Walton and does he have permission to hire and fire coaches or not? Or does that, I, I mean, obviously he probably needs Dave's permission, but if he's really the head coach of the defense, how much control does he get over his staff? Is he going to hire yeah. the next defensive line coach um, when Larry steps steps aside? Um, and um, uh, uh, Ryan Donnelly um, of uh, of um, what is that flipping the field? Um, I, he said something that I thought was really interesting that he thinks that they have the safeties coach. On, on staff. It's uh, David, I think his name, Gutierrez or something like that. He's the safeties coach slash defensive coordinator from Duke, who was already with Jim Knowles, who's a defensive yes. analyst. Move Perry back to corners coach, promote him to safeties coach, and fire Tim Walton. And that sounds like a good plan to me. I read up on yeah, I read up on the I read up on the David guy, the Gutierrez guy. Like he had some really good safeties. He also has defensive coordinator coordinator experience because he was a defensive coordinator for Duke for multiple years. Um, and yeah. uh, Perry, Perry Eliano is a freaking amazing corners coach. Yeah, and you know, I, it's hard. I, I don't want to like make any sweeping statements about Tim Walton because I think he had the worst luck as a position coach. Oh, it's between him and Tony Alford with just injuries. Like, I don't even know, like, you have five corners, and you came into the season with three healthy. Like, good luck, like, getting fundamentals taught, getting all that stuff taught when guys probably aren't practicing consistently. Like, what, Cam Brown had a surgery in the middle of the season that none of us knew about. Denzel Burke was wearing a cast for a little bit. Like, it it was a weird year for that position group, but, I I mean – there, something needs to improve. Like there were a few plays, and like Perry's group wasn't like like oh, like free from this blame. Like I, I think Lathan Ransom played the worst game of his career against Michigan. I think you know you look at Cam Brown; he regressed. Um, so it, it's really just there's a few things to fix. And it's hard to truly, like, see where this defense goes next because it's year one. Like, Jim Knowles is going to be in year two. He's going to have players on the roster he's more comfortable with. And I'm excited to see what he does with it. And I don't know. That's what we're, we're really going to see his identity next year, I think. Yeah, I, I don't know where I got David from. It's Matt. Matt Guerri. Um, okay. And I just want, first of all, he's from Ohio. Like, come on, yeah. Ohio guy. I remember when he was hired because Duke, well, David Cutcliffe was finally, they cut ties with him, right? And mm-hmm. then that last coach got fired for whoever they had this year. Yeah. So uh, let's see. I just really quick, really quickly. Um, so he was co defensive coordinator. Um, graduate assistant for three years. He was safety coach for seven years. Um, co-defensive coordinator for four years. Um, let's see. He coached Duke All-American Jeremy Cash and five additional All-Atlantic Coast Conference players. Um, he was named the finalist for one of the Assistant Coach of the Year awards. Um, like, yeah, he played football. He was a three-year letterman. He's from Ohio. It's like... 
I, I think that it's interesting. I think that, you know, I can't say enough on assistant coaches. That's not my forte, but I th- Tim Walton didn't impress me enough that I'm against the move Perry back to corners coach and let this guy who has been a safety. It's a, it's kind of the same thing that we just talked about with the players having athletes and co- putting them out of position. And yes. We talked about this in the beginning with why they did it, and we tried to rationalize it and stuff like that. But Perry Eliano's not an athlete. He's a corners coach. Let him coach corners. And you have a safeties coach who did it for seven freaking years and was a defensive coordinator and worked under Jim Knowles, unlike Tim Walton. Yes. I don't know why he didn't give him the job in the beginning. It's probably because he got fired from Duke late and it was coming. Yeah, I think it was timing. Yeah, give it to him. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like also changes because isn't that rule of like the ten coaching limit is that's about to change too? So is it? I think that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw something about that. I heard someone talking about it. Someone much smarter than me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't uh, see that. That'd be interesting. Council introduces proposal. Yeah, the NCAA kind of. Limits would remove the voluntary coach designation and proportionally increase countable coaches. Hmm. So, I don't know what the number would be officially, but I think that would be a huge step for and another advantage for the places like Ohio State. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think like I would be very interested in that because at the end of the day, you have a guy who has multiple years experience in his system. Um, it's like the head coach thing. Being a defensive coordinator just brings a lens that you've never had. Uh, and again, he's coaching his natural position, and it allows Perry to coach his natural position. That sounds like a win to me. Yeah, we got to get to a break here. But like to finish your point there, like when you're a defense coordinator, you understand that like every position is a part to the whole. And I think that adds a very beneficial lens to how you see. Yeah. So. That's it. We're going to take a quick break here, but we'll see you guys on the flip side to finish off our checklist and then get to some fan questions on the show today. But we will see you guys after this message from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back in, everybody. This is Christopher Rennie bringing you an episode of the Fuck Off Podcast. Uh, I know we said it earlier, kind of weird times. We've got a mix of an off-season show. We're still kind of alive uh, for the season. It's all really going to come down to stuff Ohio State has no control over. Um, but we're talking about the future. We're talking about our checklist to fix Ohio State immediately. And... Um, I think the next thing on the list, we talked about defining the identity. We talked about some stuff that would fix the defense. Uh, And this is one that I kind of wanted to like really get into because I think over the last two years, this has become like a serious problem. Uh, And it's just how Ohio State plays situational football. You know, sometimes I think there's some questionable clock management choices. Sometimes there's 
like players taking the ball backwards on third and six when they get the first down to try to make a bigger play. And like kind of that lack of understanding of what you actually need in that moment. And that comes defensively, that comes offensively. And I think that is one place where Michigan, especially on the defensive side of the balls, uh, improved in a way Ohio State hasn't. Because I, I don't think Ohio State really plays football like in a way where they're like, all right, this is third and eight. They're going to try to run a route at the sticks. So I'm not going to drop deeper than this because this is where they're going to try to get to. They drop back and then they have to recover and then they miss a tackle and then someone breaks off a 65-yard touchdown. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of like – here if that fits your checklist like i feel like ohio state's not a good situational football team um yeah i mean i wouldn't say that's my biggest concern but i don't think most at this point no coach is a good like like i think you can count uh i think you could identify more coaches who are bad situationally than who are good so i'm never going to say don't get better at it. It's just not super high on my list because it seems like every single college football coach in the world and NFL coach. I mean, freaking Jeff Saturday didn't call a timeout. Yeah, well, that's not that doesn't count. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah, but yeah, he's not really a coach. But like, you know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. So yeah. I'm not against it being on the list. It's just yeah. not high on my list because I think. Everyone sucks at it at this point. What, what's an example? Nathaniel Hackett on the Broncos had to hire a senior advisor to like help him manage timeouts late in games. Yeah, I mean that was, was it, funny. Who was it that did like the the thirteen second fire drill when they didn't have to? It worked, but like, was it TCU? No, I think they had to do it there. It was fourth down and the clock was running. No, they didn't have to do it. They ran the ball on third down. They clocked, oh, it. Yeah. They clocked yeah. it on second. And then instead of clocking it again or running on second and clocking yeah, it on third, right. they ran the ball. And then they forced the fire drill. They didn't have to do that. They, they, yeah, you're right. That's, I did not remember it that way, but you're right. That's that's true. They, they put themselves in this situation. Um, but I, I don't think it's – like it's less that. It's less the, you know, the stupid, you know. It's more like I don't think they coach the players up on that. You know, I don't think like the receivers and, you know, when you have ultra-talented players like those guys. Like the amount of times this year I saw a Mecca Bugilla like take steps backwards when he had the first down and like just give me like immense anxiety because I'm like, just get the first. Just get the first. Move the sticks, you know. And I know this is something that people think about when Stroud has the ball and he's rolling right on third and 11 and that defender sitting back just like daring him to run. They're like, just run the ball. And it's like, no, that defender is baiting him into that because CJ Stroud's not a good runner. It's like they just – it feels like the players aren't necessarily situationally aware at all times. And I think that comes back to coaching and the quality of coaching at times. Yeah, um, I could see that. But I do think um, where we kind of get in trouble sometimes is never putting any blame on the players. And so I, I just yeah. won't, I won't say that I'm confident enough my- either way to say whose fault that is. I think well, that everyone needs to get better in that area for sure. Yeah, and I'll say like 
The reason I think it is more coaching is because Marvin Harrison Jr. is an incredible situational football player. And he's just and the two other receivers, Julian and Emeka, were not. Xavier Johnson, incredible situational football player. Um and that's kind of where I'm at. Offensive line and stuff, but I also think the offensive line struggles with it because there's no reason you need to try to hit a home run in a one yard game. You just need to get a push. Yeah. Your whole and like they're trying to like crease this hole and like make a big game. It's like, no, you just need to get leverage and move this guy forward a yard. Yeah, but I will say, especially speaking of like situational though, um Tony Alfred hot seat. Yeah, right. Like the running backs have regressed like crazy. I like, thought they, they I understand Trey was injured, but man, he was significantly worse. Like he tried to hold tried to bury Sanders the football on a third and one. Who was that? That was against Indiana, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was horrible. I don't know. I don't man. think I've that might have been one of the worst plays I've ever seen an Ohio State player make in like a non like in a game that didn't matter, right? Like, yeah, your foot's torn. You have ligaments. You tweeted about that, and you were trying to be Barry Sanders on a third and one. Yeah, I'm. Uh, speaking of, I'm really, Trey's really kind of fallen out of favor with me because like he did. He kind of did the same thing last year with tweeting out injuries and things. And like, if they're treating you bad and that kind of stuff, like shame on them. Definitely let let us know. But like. That that foot injury is not why you couldn't hit a hole all season, bro. Like you got to take yeah. some responsibility for that. Like the first thing you do is tweet something against like the coaches and stuff like that. And I'm not team coach. I'm not because I've been a part of a college football program that had way less stakes, and I've seen people play injured and things like that. Like I get it, and if that's what's going on, like shame on them. Talk about it, you know. Broadcast that. I'm all for player led movements and all of that. I'm I support all of that, but also. You, you need to take accountability as a player, and I think that even more now than before, you can criticize players because they are getting paid. You got all these NIL deals and trucks and cars and all that other yeah. kind of stuff, and there are holes that you could drive your big-ass truck through, but you won't walk through it because you can't see it. And you that, try yeah. to hit a home run with the cutback that's not there. And the only – like, it's crazy. And this is also hot seat Tony Alford. The two running backs that had the best were the two running backs that spent the least time in the room. Yeah, they didn't play. How did Dallin like, Hayden not play? Like, I know, we t- I, I know we talked about Ryan Day for that. But if we're being honest, yeah. most well, and, times – like, I've you've been on a college sideline. I've been on a college sideline. What happened like, with the Chip, coach like, is not picking who's out there. The offensive – yeah. is not picking who's out there. That is on the position coach. Position coaches rotate their own players most times. It's easy to play one happened- day, but like – what happened with Chip? He was averaging six yards a carry. We didn't see him for like two and a half quarters. And then the next time we see him, he's getting a halfback toss to the play side where they have numbers. It's like, ah, man, this, see, this is what we talked about before the show. It's like, are we going to get some reasonable conversation or are we just going to get mad again? And we're getting mad again yeah. because this is this is rough. And does, does Stan Drayton I, still like Texas? <laughs> like, yeah. you want to come back? <laughs> like, oh, he's not even a running back coach no more. He accepted a head coach. Coaching job, didn't he? Yeah, or something. Yeah, I cannot. It's really. uh, I think that's one thing. I I, the running backs. I I think that's so funny. I just came to that 
Like two running backs that had the best game on Saturday. Like there's no reason Chip Trainum should be in the room for three weeks and then come out and average six yards per carry. And then mine and the crew are struggling to like find holes. And, you know, that's why I've been, you know, pro offensive line the whole time. Cause it's really been on the play call and on the running backs. Like that, that yeah. I've never seen a regression like and, that. I, like that, that they were bad. All they were bad. Both of them were bad at various times. And I know injury is a part of it, but injury is why the five yard game doesn't become 15 injuries. Not why, the five-yard game becomes negative three. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's true. That's decision making, and I, I think that's something. I never played running back, so sometimes it's hard for me to like fully like see it I like mean. happen live. <laughs> but like rewatching film, like throughout the year doing the film reviews, there are some really like there were games where the offensive line was bad, yes, but there are games where the running backs were equally as bad and or worse. I, I, yeah, or worse and. I think that's something that people need to talk about because, yeah, like mine and Trey were hurt, yes, but they still played, and in games they played, I didn't know Mayan Williams to be a home run hitter, and after he scored the, all those touchdowns against Rutgers, which I, I think me and you both know, like Rutgers isn't necessarily a game where Ohio State struggles to score points, right? Um I didn't need to see Mayan Williams try to become Reggie Bush. I want to see Mayan Williams stay Mayan Williams and put those shoulders down, turn three-yard games to seven-yard games, not because he's juking people out, because he's putting two hands on the ball and getting yards. And I think the short yardage struggles come from that lack of feel. And, you know, also, like, it's a a combination, the tendencies and then the lack of feel from the running backs. Yep. But also, if we're going to talk about it, because now we're talking about it, now that I'm thinking about it, who I, Travion? Yes, Travion's great, but think of the last two, three, four, five classes. All of the number one, number two, number three running backs have all decommitted. We lost Bijan. Yeah. Look at what he's doing. We lost the, our we lost our main guy this year and our main guy last year. Mayan worked out. He did, but we lost the guys in mind. Like I don't know that that running back recruiting is not looking like what it used to be. I'm just gonna say if Ohio State landed a Jameer Gibbs or a Bijan Robinson that class, uh, they are not losing to Michigan. So I love Tony. Tony's a great guy, great story, adopted his nephews, all that, like, you know. But is Tony Alfred a top five running backs coach anymore? If the answer is no, then you need to fire him and go get one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh something and you know, I, I think when we look at the staff there is there's definitely some complacency. There's complacency. There's no new ideas. Like, and I, I understand that it's hard to fire people, which is why it's great when you have young, up and coming people, and they just get hired away because there's a constant cycle. Now you hate when they get hired away after one year. You hope they get two or three years, but there's that constant cycle. But when you don't have that, uh, now you got to fire them. Yeah, look at look at Ohio State and Alabama both right now with old offensive coordinators who no one wants. Crazy. You're stuck. Stuck. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think we could come up with an even better checklist once the season's officially over. I'm but we did ask for some wish list article. Yeah, so make sure you guys check that out once it's out. Um, we got some fan questions. Uh, I'm going to make sure – I'm going to do one last check on Twitter, make sure we didn't get any additional ones while we're recording. 
uh, does not look like it. So, um, just looking through. Yep, nothing else. Uh, let's get into it. All right, first one from our guy. Uh, I don't know how to say it. I, Fub eleven uh, at Fub eleven. He's he's one of our most zealous supporters. Appreciate him. Always willing to chat. Uh, thoughts on the transfer portal? Who leaves? Who would OSU want? Um, I think this is a loaded question. Uh, I think it's a little too early to really get into the who leaves and who stays. Uh, running back room's a little full right now. Um, there are some older guys on the offensive line who, if this doesn't break their way this like spring, I could see leaving. Um, defensively, I think that linebacker room for only having two at the position, that's a little full right now. Um, but really, that's the only places I see it. Maybe a guy like Cam Martinez, who just isn't fully comfortable playing the position he's been put in. Maybe he decides to find greener pastures. But I, I really do think it's a little too early to like go down the list and see who's transferring, who, who's going to be in, who's going to be out, you know. Is even like look at the receiver room, it's loaded, yeah. But you still have guys like Jaden Ballard, like all those freshmen who came in, they have quite a few years left of eligibility, they have plenty of time to make their names, right? So, I, I don't necessarily like see an easy one right now. The only places I'd see it right now are running back and linebacker just because too many bodies for <clears throat> too little opportunity. Yeah, like I saw someone say like Tyleek might leave, which maybe, but like all the seniors are gone in that room. So Tyleek's going to yeah. be the vet. It's going to be Tyleek, Mike Hall, you know, like John Cade, Sean Vincent. Like those guys are seniors. A lot of them walked. So yeah. Like that, like, you know, biding that time, that's going to be whatever. I mean, Mayan is made. I, I don't know. He's probably, if he leaves, he's probably going to go to the draft. I, someone said Travion might leave. I, I don't know. I, this what I would say as far as transfer portal coming in. Don't be surprised if they look at quarterback, running back, and uh, defensive back. The corner, yeah, corner. Like, um, yeah. So I, I do think it's interesting, and I don't want to be one of those guys. I don't want to scoop this up just to throw a thinly veiled shot there, but. <laughs> There are going to be a lot of talented quarterbacks at the G5 level, at the Power 5 level, who had coaches turnover, who have opportunities to, like you know. And there's some who aren't draft eligible. There's some who are. But we're going to see a lot of dominoes fall. And it's one of those things where – Ryan Day is betting his future on whoever he starts at quarterback next year. So I just think it's an interesting an interesting thing to watch, especially when you have Dylan Rayola coming in two years. Like, it's something. And it's a thin room, and even if that guy doesn't come in and win the job, you still need an additional body of experience. But I like Kyle McCord. I like Devin Brown. But I can't sit here and tell you I'm confident that those guys turn into CJ Stroud. I know I'm not confident enough to say they have, they don't have the athleticism of Justin Fields to like make up for some possible deficiencies. So I, I, there's going to be a market. That's all I'm going to say about the quarterback position. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's about bringing in competition. It's not even saying that the, you don't think the guys can do it. Um, 
uh, Kyle McCord has started one game and has thrown like 10 passes outside of that game because Ryan Day doesn't let him throw. Devin uh, Brown is young. And then you're going to have like a three-star quarterback that is a late bloomer, but like you don't know really what he is because he's not the number one, number two, number three quarterback in the country that you used to get, that you're that we're used to getting. So that's going to be yeah. three quarterbacks. Yeah, competition then, is good. You, like it kind of like yeah. there's going to be competition between those three, of course. But like bring in some outside competition if you find someone that is worthy, that is worth it, that you you really kind of uh, believe in. I mean, why not? You know, like it, what is it going to hurt? You give yourself the best shot. Um, competition is good. It, competition is healthy. Same thing with running back. I mean. I don't I don't believe that Mayan or Trey are get, should be guaranteed starters next year. I think they need to deserve it. I think they need to earn yeah. it. So if there is a And if they don't like that, run like leave. 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 It's yeah. state, bro. Like if there's a Jameer Gibbs type running back on the market, if there's someone uh or a real bruiser type running back that you can kind of pair with that one two punch get them competition bring them in and you ultimately you just need depth you absolutely 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 need depth at 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 corner like it doesn't matter if they're coming in as starter it doesn't matter if they're a senior or if they're a freshman if there's someone out there talented enough that you had some recruiting uh conversations with and you have you know the family whatever it is you just you need to bring in corners preferably with starting experience preferably someone that could maybe step in outside because the only give the only sure guy we have is denzel burke and he's had been a little up and down so preferably someone that you can just like slant in, but even if not, you need competition. I think those three positions yep. are, are places I could see someone in for competition. The one thing I'll say about this roster, while it's young, I don't think that there's any glaring holes anymore. I think they have fixed that in some of the recruiting. There's a million young safeties. There's a million young wide receivers. The defensive line is freaking nuts. They haven't they haven't yeah. proven it, but the defensive line talent's nuts. Linebacker talent's nuts. Running back is yeah. You, you're gonna have JT Tuamale. You're gonna have Jack Sawyer. You're gonna have Caden Curry. You're gonna have Kenyatta Jackson. You're gonna have five guys. Like Abor. maybe you bring in another guy to bolster it on the interior, an older, more experienced guy. You're but I, I really don't like. Yeah, guys in there, man. Yeah, and I know uh, someone tweeted at me. Tune Mize Adelaide transferred uh, is in the transfer portal. I, I think he'd be a great like fit in Jim Knowles' offense. I don't know. Is that the personality wise that we didn't get? I see from somewhere I can't else. Remember where he went to high school. I, I can't remember where he's from, but he was a Texas A&M guy. So uh, let me see. Tompkins High School in Katy, Texas. So okay, no, he was not the Philly guy. He was the other guy. Okay, but yeah, no, I think there's some guys, especially the younger guys. Like there's still some guys who are going to want to transfer to get to a better situation where they can develop a little bit, and they realize. Like I think this is going to be that first test of like seeing like. Were these schools like Miami? Will these schools like Texas A&M, like who banked their whole reputation on NIL funds? Will we see these players and like these high school recruits think, man, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be thinking about the money as much, right? 
Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Transfer portal is going to go crazy. Um, <clears throat> I, the, I, the one thing that I will say is temper your expectations. Ohio Error. State is never going to be a program that pulls a lot of guys out of the transfer portal, and you should not. It is not yeah. working for Alabama. You do not want your team built of transfers. You want On to transfer, handpick yeah. a couple of guys who you think are going to help. And like oh, put into perspective, right, like the landscape. Tackle. Oh yeah, tackle's a big one. Tackle. Uh, they'll definitely try to. They'll definitely bolster the offensive line. Without missing on that young guy from some. last year from Georgia, Georgia Tech, whatever the hell he came from, uh, he Florida, um, International. Florida International. Like I know why they didn't get him because he wanted probably the guarantee start. Missing out on him is tough, man. That would have been great. Yeah. There'll be another year. There'll be another him this year. Yeah. I will say, um, God, I kind of blanked on it, but yeah, it's going to be. Oh, yeah. Uh, there are North Carolina fans online who are worried about Drake May leaving. He's, Brother of Luke May, UNC <laughs> national champion. Like, it, like, a UNC family, they're worried about him leaving that's, because of NIL. That's money. only like, that's one of nuts. His, that's only one of his brothers. Like, his entire family, from his dad to brothers and sisters, all went to UNC, bro. Like, if, if they're and they're scared he's going to leave. That's nuts. That's nuts. And like I, I like at first I'm like, man, why? And then they're like, it's money. Ohio State quarterback Drake oh, May, who says no? He's talented, God, man. They would, put him, they would melt, bro. They would melt. North Carolina has an entire university. Their student body would melt on the spot and they would not exist anymore. Tell them to bring Tony Grimes with them. I see I see yeah. I see draft eligible already. Uh, I think he has one more year. Yeah. yeah, Drake May and Tony Grimes, come on down. Yeah. See what Columbus has for you. Oh, man. What can Ryan but, yeah. do for you? Hey, Luke McCown or Josh McCown's son's in the transfer portal. Uh, I don't know anything about him. No, Decoldis Crawford, transfer portal. Oh, I thought he was a corner. Never mind. No, yeah, he's, a wide, he's a wide receiver. <laughs> uh, no, we're good. I'd love it, but we're good there. Uh, all right, next one. Uh, we got another question from our guy, FB11. State of recruiting, big names from last week's visitors committing, D-line recruiting, recent LSU, D commit any of the AM guys in the portal? Uh, I don't have my spreadsheet open uh, with the offers and guys out, but I think Ohio State's on the road. They're hitting it hard. They're spending time with a lot of their – Commits. They spent a lot of time with their commits today, bolstering those relationships. So, I I think this next week is going to be huge with names like Matayo, with names like uh, God. What's the guy from Venice, Florida? Damon Wilson. Yep. Uh, it's it's a big week. It's a big week for those final class guys. I I think the you beat Michigan. You probably hear a lot more of these ramblings for commitments. Now it's going to be a grind to signing day. I just what can you do? That. I don't think you promise. I don't think I do. I, I probably not all of them, but I do think there's more. There's more momentum. You hear things more now. I think you have to work a little harder. Um, I don't think you're gonna get Keon Keeley. 
No, I don't think they get Keon, but I think uh, for I don't think they were going to get him to begin with, though. Yeah. So we talked we talked about this before because I think I identified this last year. For some reason, defensive line recruiting is like the one where it always goes down a signing day. Like, yeah. hold on, I'm actually I'm actually about to pull this up to like back up my hypothesis. Um, that's not really a hypothesis because we've proven it two years in a row. Uh, two four seven sports football recruiting. Is this the 2023 class, right? Uh, yep. Okay. 2023. Uh, now position defensive end. This is very bad podcasting. Um, but yeah, I, but the point that I'm getting to is there is, I think we're going to get like four defensive linemen. Um, we're gonna yeah. get like four defensive linemen in the last month, like a couple of weeks, just because of how it goes um, with defensive linemen. Okay, so the number one defensive lineman, Keon Keeley, uncommitted. Number two, Damon Wilson, uncommitted. Number three is committed to Oklahoma. Number four, uncommitted. Number five, uncommitted. Number six, uncommitted. You get to seven, eight, nine, ten, those guys are committed. Number 12 is uncommitted. So just a, a really quick count for you all. One, two, three, four, five of the so- of the top six players uncommitted, and Ohio State is in on all of them. No, they're in on a couple of them. They're not really in on on Quay Russo Russo, and um, I haven't heard much of of Samuel um, and Pimba, but they're technically in on Keon. They're in on Damon. They're in on Mateo. I wouldn't be surprised if they get yeah. two of the three, uh, but yeah, it's just they're probably going to get they're probably going to get Joshua Mickens, the yeah. guy that's the LSU decommit. Yep. Where's he? He's at? probably going to go to Ohio State now. Yeah. He's he decommitted. He's he's probably going to Ohio State now. Yep, he committed right after, um, and that's like yeah. I think there was another LSU decommit, but I think he's in the twenty twenty four class that is also going to be an Ohio State guy. Okay, and that's that, that's just the edge. Um, I didn't even look at the. Uh, the interior guys, but it just for some reason that well, just, it's probably much of the same. Yeah, for some reason that's just how it goes with defensive line right now. Um, those are kind of the money making positions. So um, this is where you're going to start hearing some flip rumors too. Like if Ohio State doesn't win out on some of these recruits, they're still going to be guys yep. that they weren't maybe in on. They try to get back in on for sure. Flip late, so which is getting harder with early signing day, but. It is something to think about. And then depending on how they close this out, that really just opens up the opportunity for transfers. And then to like finish this and bring this whole conversation full circle, there's a lot of draft decisions that need to be made. So uh, we'll see how those go. And then that will also impact how much Ohio State tries to bolster this offensive line. Or uh, not the – that's a Freudian slip. They need to, but – bolster the roster yeah and maybe because we're already running long but maybe the next one as we start to hear some more we can run down the list of, of players who did senior night because there's a lot of players who are, who are leaving um just in general yeah. because they're older on top of uh on top of obvious you know yeah all right, let's get to the next questions uh, from at the real Nixter, good friend, friend of the show, been a friend for a long time. Uh, the first one is Jim Harbaugh a better coach than Ryan Day? Yes. And I, yeah, I, I don't think there. Ryan Day hasn't coached in a Super Bowl. Ryan Day hasn't won NFC championships. Ryan Day has only coached at Ohio State and the head coaching place. 
Jim Harbaugh has won conference title. Uh, you no, he won a conference title at USD. Did a really good job of building Stanford, and then before he could really see the fruits of that labor, he left for the NFL. So he's rebuilt three programs, which I think is a lot harder to do than what Ryan Day's done at Ohio State. Yeah, and I, honestly, I don't think there's any shame in that. We talked about it before. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh is one of like five guys who's been successful in college and in, in pros. He's a very yeah. good coach. He's just a terrible person. Yeah, it's okay. And most coaches are, so... <laughs> All right, what else we got from my guy, the real Nickster? Um, if the Buckeyes sneak into the playoffs and have to play a team up north, what needs to happen to beat them? Uh, don't give up uh, place. First of all, yeah, don't I, give- I hate to say this. I, I really hate to say it because I don't think I deserve to say it. We beat them if we play them again. They're not going to give up the big plays. Jim Knowles is not going to get beat twice, and Blake Corum just had season-ending end- season knee surgery, so we don't have to worry about him playing, and I don't trust that JJ can do it again. Like I, I hate to say it because I don't think we deserve to say it, but I just don't see it. I don't see like they they yeah. had five yeah. touchdowns where they averaged sixty nine yards. They rushed the ball for eleven yards at halftime. Ohio State wasn't being physically dominated. What they did is not repeatable. It like if like even the running the ball, it was a seventy five yard run and an eighty yard run. There's not. It wasn't them getting five yeah. six yards a clip. It was. It's just not repeatable. I think if we play them again, we beat them, but I don't want to say that because we don't deserve to say it and we don't deserve to be in the playoffs and the team is mentally soft, but what needs to happen... Jim Knowles needs to make an adjustment, and Ryan Day needs to not fucking punt on fourth and four from the fucking 43. Yeah. Sorry for this. Don't be scared, honestly, at the end of the day. They can't play timid football. Coach to win and not to lose. How about that? Yeah, that's really the be-all, end-all there. Don't let Muzz play with a felony charge. Yeah, for (laughs) two months. (laughs) You know, let's get into that. Let's let's open the book up, right? You're Jim Harbaugh. I don't care that maybe, like, the story is from the lawyers and everybody, Maisie Smith cooperated. The only issue is you can't have a legal, like, you can have a license for a gun, but you cannot legally have it in your automobile. He got stopped at a traffic stop, and this is a legitimate felony charge in Michigan. Debate what you want. I'm not the, I'm not, I don't know how, like, yeah, it's not my place. But you are going on a soapbox. These kids need to be tried in court. These kids need to do this, do that, Michigan State. Shut the hell up. You are, this is the biggest problem with Jim Harbaugh. He points at you, and it, like, when it's him, it's not a problem, not a big deal. But anytime he gets his opportunity to take a shot, to point something out, to play that, like, you know, the righteous guy, you know, he does. And then anytime it comes back to him, it's like, oh, well, you know, our guy cooperated, you know, shut up. Stop talking about this stuff. You don't have a place for it. We've seen it. You know, there have been like every team has a history. Every coach has players who turn into bad seeds. Like it doesn't make you a good or bad coach. It doesn't make you a good or bad person unless you keep those players in the game, which Jim Harbaugh did. And I don't care enough to like really get into it. But, man, it is just the hypocrisy of those guys up north that really just irks me sometimes. Yeah, for sure. But if if freaking Teron Vincent got caught in a car with a gun, you think this response from Michigan would be this way? Absolutely not. Yeah. 
Um, but ultimately, like my my answer was serious, but I guess to be more serious, it, it it's genuinely Jim Knowles make adjustments. Don't don't do yeah. the don't do the do ego play. Do, Jim don't do the ego play of trying to play man coverage all the way around. And the sad and here's the thing. If, if don't play him. I don't want to get into too. it because I don't think we need to unless we get in. You give him a month to get healthy. You give him a month to get yeah. healthy. Oh. You give him a month of practice to figure some things out. And JSN may play. I, I just think I just think a month and a half to stew over what happened and to game plan. Again, you know Quorum's not playing. Like I I'm confident, if, I'm like, confident if you, in anyone that we would play if you give us a month. I, I, yeah. I just I just wish in that month you could fire the offensive coordinator and hire a new one. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. And he, he, health, you know, you don't have that excuse against Michigan. They lost their best player, but that's the difference is they would still have their best player lost. Ohio State would be getting Mine Williams healed. They'd get Travion Henderson hopefully healed. He should not have played against Indiana. That was just malpractice. I had eye surgery, and I came back in two weeks, fixed their vision. Maybe they can find the hole. Like, you know, you get the surgery now, two weeks. It wasn't wasn't that bad. Like, and I just had that in, like, August. I didn't even miss the podcast. Like, you know, know, get get some eye, eye corrective surgery, some good contacts in the next month. Maybe our running backs healthy can find a hole. Like, there, if you yeah. are someone who thinks Ohio State can and should go to the playoff, Give, I will should train them another month of practice. Yeah, or you know, a month to figure out that Dallin Hayden's good. Ohio yeah. State can still beat any nah, team in the country. Much time. Ohio State can still beat any team in the country, and unless Georgia just. Because LSU, like Harold Perkins and stuff, looked really good. Unless Georgia just puts up like a million points, I am not feeling good about Georgia right now because their offense is hit or miss. And there, there's been too many games where they haven't put up good points, like like yeah. enough for me to like really just be like, no, nah, they're just gonna turn it on. Speaking of hypocrisy. I listened to the SEC show on the Athletic, and they the way they talk about Ohio State versus Georgia is crazy. The way they talked about Ohio State with the Northwestern game and like all this other kind of stuff, they're just like, "Oh, I'm not sure that they're a good team," and they this and that. And then Georgia gives up twenty to uh, gives up twenty to Ohio to Kent State, scores seventeen towards Missouri, losing to Missouri. And, and this is the what they say. Quarter. They literally say, "Well, they're the national championship, national champion." They're just bored. They're just bored. But anytime they've needed to turn it on, they turn it on. I would be bored if I was the national champion, too, and I had to play Kentucky. Oh, so when it's Ohio State, it's not that they're bored. But but when it's Georgia scoring 17 freaking points against Kentucky, oh, they're bored. They just they're going to turn it on when they need to turn it on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Turn it on against Ohio State. Turn it on against yeah, USC. Right. Like Georgia's still probably going to win the national championship. That's not what I'm saying that they're not. But if, if you're talking about the playoffs, if we get in, you should feel confident and comfortable that we can play with just about anyone, especially because I think Ryan Day will coach a little bit more free in a game that's not Michigan because uh, I think the pressure cooker of Ohio State and Michigan got to Ryan Day a little bit. It did, yeah. Absolutely. I'm with you. Um yeah, no, absolutely. I, I don't have anything to add to that. I think you nailed it on the head. 
Uh, last one. So I'm looking at JSN, who has all the talent in the world, but doesn't seem to have enough development. Does it really make sense for him to go to the draft with one year worth of work? Yes. I think this is coming from a place of it would be nice to have JSN again, right? But <laughs> Jason has all the development he needs. I promise you, he yeah. does. He he's just yeah, fine. He uh, when when he's going to the NFL, when he probably won't be a first round pick now, but no, he will. He's yeah, absolutely going to be a first I mean, round pick. When, I think a big. It depends on how he runs at the combine. If he's in the four fours like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, surefire. Listen, uh, when last year was so loaded at receiver, I think teams feel like, yeah, no, we're good. So I don't think it'll be as top heavy. But I, I, it'll be about testing for him. Yeah, I, I don't think he needs it. I think he's guaranteed first round pick. He, now he's At not going to be the number one wide receiver off the board. He's yeah. absolutely first round pick. Um, here's let me go to the Bills. Yeah. It's not going to be cool. They're going to have Stephon Diggs and Jackson Smith and Jig, but it's not going to be fun for anybody. Yeah, side note: Aside from the fact that. Um, this is why you don't go. This is why you don't go because you have the year of your life. You're not eligible. And then you deal with the injury that takes you out the entire year. You go immediately because you, because this time if you're injured next year, you're getting paid. You know, who haven't, who hasn't played a snap of football this season, Jamison Williams, you know, who's collecting checks, Jamison Williams. Yeah. You go to the league. You go to the league every chance that you get. You don't risk it. Yeah. Now, aside no matter from how that, much you can make in NIL money, it is not that $20 million you're getting paid to be a first-round It's not the $20 million you're getting paid, and it doesn't count towards your um, – it doesn't count towards your three-year uh, pension. Yeah, uh, you need to get that pension. So, yeah, absolutely. You absolutely go. You and start like, the clock towards in that second contract. And I, I, I disagree. Like, wide receiver, especially now, they've been you've been doing seven-on-seven seven since you're three. He has the development. Yeah. People talked all of this stuff and saying, oh, Chris Olave's small, Garrett Wilson's tiny, this, that, and the third. They're like one and two in odds for uh, rookie of the year. Garrett Wilson just won his third rookie of the week. They're absolutely killing it, despite the fact that people tried to say they're too slight, they're too this, they're too that. They've been running routes since they are freaking three. Jason has a development. I hate to break it to you. I would love it if he came back. I, I wish that we could like slightly disparage him a little bit to come back and like convince him like, hey, you, you need to add something to your route tree. You need to prove something so we could see him again. We're not seeing him again unless we make the playoff. I'm sorry, yeah. bro. It, it, it's just And probably not even then, honestly. He, uh, he would play in the playoff. I, I think he wants the national. We don't even really know where he's at physically, to be honest. Yeah. So. Well. He, have a, he has a month. He has a month. Yeah, he's a month. Um, yeah, no, I think he'll be – I, I, the lowest he goes, like, second round pick three. I, that, I'm telling you now it's not happening. And I'm like, that's literally the floor is, like, second round pick. Yeah. Like, he's not going past, like, the 65th pick in the draft, no where matter did, what. Where did Dane have him? Do you remember? I didn't see Dane have him in the first round. Uh, he was. I looked at it. Uh, Bad podcasting one more time. Yeah. Now we got to pull it up. Now I got to pull up Dane Brugler. And, oh, God. Uh, so all this free promo. It's impossible to, like, search things sometimes. Yeah, I found it. You just, have to search, you just have to search authors. That's the, that's the easiest way. Yeah. All oh, right. But now it's not loading. This is really bad podcast. That's all right. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Let's see who gets there first. 
Well, I'm on the Man, article. Man, is in the first round this year. Yeah, yeah. Per Dane Brugler, which we know these all get messed up by the time it gets there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I remember actually now you're right. Uh, he was 29 to Minnesota. That's right. That's freaking disgusting. <laughs> Justin what's, Jefferson what's Texas worse, Texas. Justin Jefferson and, <laughs> and JSN oh, it's worse or Stephon Diggs and JSN? It's worse because Justin Jefferson's young. So yeah, oh my god, have both these guys for you're gonna have him for three more. You're gonna have Jackson Smith and Jigba and Justin Jefferson for at least eight years together because Justin Jefferson's getting paid whatever what, a six year, however much money he wants, and Jackson Smith and Jigba's gonna be under contract for five years. So yeah, so that's crazy. <laughs> That's. I hope it works out because I don't mind the Vikings. They're not a team I hate. No. I don't. I think the people of Minneapolis, after all the pain and suffering they've been through with sports, mostly the Vikings, honestly, specifically the Vikings, they deserve something. Yeah. Good. Well, un- the unfortunate thing is that their pick is too high because uh, our Chicago Bears could use him, but they're not picking him with yeah. the third pick in the draft. Like <laughs> trade back? They're not. They're not. Yeah. Well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, we kind of already broached on this, uh, but we'll we'll close out with this. Final thoughts here. Do you want Ohio State to make the playoff? Uh, final thought. Do I want Ohio State to make the playoff? I don't know. This is really stupid of me because, like, I've been advocating for the 12-team playoff for a while, and I think that you need to, like, college football is the only sport in the world where you don't get a mulligan and you have to be perfect. So if I'm following my logic, yes. Yes, I do. The Michigan loss was just so disappointing that it's just really frustrating, and I want them to make yeah. some changes. Um, but speaking of the playoffs, what I do want to say is um, if Ohio, if we had a 12-team playoff right now, Ohio State first round would play Tulane. Second round, they would play USC. Guaranteed to get to the semifinals. We would play, yeah. we would play Georgia in the semifinals, so that wouldn't be great. But freaking Tulane and then USC back, come on. Like, that would be like... Yeah, yeah you like, take that. You take that. Is, like, it's almost better to get the fifth seed in some years. Like, are you serious? Like, that's what you get to do? You get to, you get to play the 12 seed, and then you get to play the yeah. four seed who's barely better than you, who really is only the fifth seed like- because they're a conference team. I'm convinced. I'm this is why. This is why a lot of people are going to be mad about the 12 team playoff. Like, pretty quick. I don't care. Because all, really, all it's really going to do is going to give <laughs> Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, whoever ends up like losing in those conference championship games, like they're they're going to get right those next few weeks, and they're going to beat up a two lane. They're going to beat up a like second place finisher in the Big Twelve, like. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, so like it's not going to work like people think. I really want you to think about this. Let's talk about it. Outside the one and the two seed, I'm going to make the case that the fifth seed is the best seed to have outside the one and the two, and this is why. One and two is easy. The three seed, right, there's really not that much difference between the number three team and the number six team, right? So you have to play yeah. the 11 and the 16. That's not going to be a super easy game. And that six team is almost – like this year, the six team is Bama. That six team is almost always going to be Ohio State, Bama, LSU, like some team that is just right yeah, outside, that, right? Not a bad game or two. 
the number five seed again you get to play the number 12 seed but think about who's going to be the number four seed most years it's going to be the worst conference champion conference that champion. they just have to put in there because they tied it yeah. to that and even if it's not the worst there's no difference between four and five the only difference is that they're you not. win the conference so you're playing a team at best that's equal to you but at at worst is equal to you, but at best is like freaking. Yeah, like, if you're playing the ACC champion yeah. and you're the Ohio State or Alabama, you're like, all right, we played this team eight times this year already. Yeah, so it's like like outside of one and two, the five seed is easily the best seed to have because you're gonna get that like two loss champion that they just have to put in there or whatever. Like freaking you, no one's afraid of USC. Like this would be Tulane and USC. Come on, like we're cakewalking. It's just two free games, two free games that we get to play. Like get right games, honestly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would like, I would love to watch Ohio State play this USC team. It would be a shootout. Absolutely. So, um, anyway, to answer the actual question, yes, I, I, I think I'm back on board with them making yeah, the play. I, I think I've come back around too. I, I, as like that's where the fans are screaming. I'm like, we just need another shot. Yeah. You don't want to end the season. I'm, what is it? I'm ready to be hurt again. I'm calling for an Ohio State-Michigan National Championship. I am not ready for that stress but or the nausea that comes with that stress. But I am because I'm, I'm tired of two SEC teams. Just let us have it. Ohio State no, I would like two playoff teams. You know, honestly, let's just get an Ohio State TCU championship and let's just roll off the sunset. You know, let Michigan have their glory. Let us have ours. And then I don't have to deal with the stress. <laughs> that would be fun. Would you rather win a national championship or beat Michigan? This year, I'd rather win a national championship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> Call me soft. I don't care. Oh, could you could you imagine? I, we beat you two years. I lived through that. We, we I lived through the stress. <laughs> I lived through the stress of the game already. I can't get up that level yeah, again. It's like, ha, ah, we beat you two years in a row. Ha, ah, we won a national championship. Yeah, uh, you know. Let everyone, everyone can have their cake and eat it too. That's funny. Um, the the conflicting feeling on Ryan Day. That is, that's a story for another day. That's a story that for one That would give week. us so much content. Like Ryan, national championship coach, Ryan Day, one and two versus Michigan. <laughs> and the best I part about imagine. it is Jim Harbaugh is taking the coach job. So he's never going to get to like, he's always going to be one and two against Michigan. Yeah, like like do you oh, against think, Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, against Jim Harbaugh. Like, do you think like Jim Harbaugh is like, yeah, I won twice, but I'm still zero and four yeah. against Urban Meyer? Like, you ever like think? Like, yeah, he, like, he, like he thinks about that. About for that? Sure. I would think about that. Like, it's cool to win. I would think about it. But, like, you beat the. Understudy. But you know, he really wanted to do it against Urban. Yeah. Like, you know, that's what he wanted. Like, you beat the understudy. Like, like Ryan Day goes into the big house and blows out freaking. Matt uh, Matt Campbell, like it's not going to feel the same. <laughs> it's not feel the same. That's probably how giant Jim Harwell feels about beating Ryan Day twice. Yeah, so I mean, it's still nice, but it's yeah. not Urban. It's not the guy who had your number. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think we've kept you guys here long enough. Uh, so I think that's it for us today. Uh, you guys can follow me at Chris Runny CFB. Uh, you guys can make sure you're following the show at Bug Off Pod. I, I I tweet I tweet my shit posts on Buck Off Pod. I'll be honest. I get some fun tweets out from there. Uh, but yeah, where we find you, Jordan? Before we head out, you can find me at Jordan W three three zero. Perfect, and that's it for us. We'll see you guys next week when Ohio State's in the College Football Playoff. Go Bucks.